0: Hey, it's Lacey Broussard and this is the Multi-Orgasmic Mama podcast. From sex and motherhood, birth and relationships, communication and intimacy building, and Taoism and Tantra, we explore topics such as self-care, self-pleasure, body image, jadex, the feminine cycles, creativity in business, and modern spirituality. The Multi-Orgasmic Mama is a place to come for true stories and transformational advice on how to be a mama and a multi-orgasmic woman too. Hey, Brianna, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so excited to have you on to talk to us all about sex education and how we can help our kids learn about sex and all sorts of juicy topics. I know all the moms are going to want to hear today. So I want you to go ahead and start just by telling us a little bit about yourself, who you're working with, what you're doing, what you're offering to the world, all the amazing value. Let's hear it.
1: Yeah, I started an app called Juicebox. And on Juicebox, we connect people one-on-one to sex, dating, and relationship coaches anonymously. So these are people that are professionals, and they're vetted. They're counselors and coaches. They can help you with anything from uh, female orgasm coaching to sex after birth, um, being intimate with your uh, spouse, maybe after being married for a long time, or like kids disrupting your schedule, like all of those issues that a lot of couples have or if you just feel like you need to you know, reignite some passion in your life, our coaches can help you with those topics. Also erectile issues, performance anxiety, uh, arguments. So th- this is what our um, coaches help people with. And it's all anonymous and you can chat back and forth with the coach as much as you want in the app. And the coach always gets back to you within 24 hours. And we also supplement that coaching with these guides and exercises that are interactive and you can go through them on your own and it pairs well with the coaching. And the app's completely free to download. And there's free features where people can ask one-off questions and share stories from other users and um, reply and read those. So there's still lots of stuff for free. And then the coaching, we're actually able to offer you all a five-day free trial, and then it's only twenty-four dollars a week, which is way, way cheaper than often a hundred and fifty or two hundred dollar per hour rate. And you still get access to them seven days a week.
0: That is so cool! I'm super excited about your app and the value you're offering to people for a really great deal. Actually, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of what we do is about accessibility, so. Um, you know, it's on your phone, wherever you take your phone, your coach is with you. And then we try to make it as affordable as possible.
0: Yeah, so cool. Now I'm very interested in how you got involved in all of this and how I got birthed. What's the story? Brianna, tell us all about it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I grew up in Tennessee. And uh, ten- in Tennessee, we received very, very little comprehensive sex education. It was very much focused on abstinence only, uh, not even learning basic things like condoms and birth control. So that was my context growing up. And then I stayed in Tennessee for college. And while I was in college, I started a local organization to provide sex ed to students in the state of Tennessee. And it was seen as very controversial by the state because it was a public university and the political environment there. And the state actually responded by defunding my organization, even though we were educating adults like college students. And they also uh, legally condemned the organization and myself. And it was kind of like all over the news. It was on the Bill O'Reilly show. It kind of blew up there for a while. But that was my first experience working in the field. And that's when I realized how hard these topics are for a lot of people and how important it is to reach people and I went on to grad school and then started working on Juicebox.
0: wow and when you were in grad school or even your undergrad did you do work on sexuality or was it mainly tech stuff since you have an app
1: uh sex education and public health was okay. what I did in uh grad school cool yeah that's awesome and you're in California now though right yeah, I'm in San Francisco and I was drawn to technology as a solution because of the convenience, you know, everyone's on their phone and it's way we're able to really drop the price and it makes it way more accessible and affordable. Yeah, cool. And it can be scary to talk about these topics, you know, even with your your spouse and it's hard to talk, you know, face to face sometimes. So that's why you know, you're protected by your screen talking to your coach and you can just say whatever you, you need to say.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, one of the biggest fears that I hear people talk about to me is moms is teaching their kids about sex. You know, like you were saying, you grew up in Tennessee, I grew up in Louisiana, so very similar Mm -hmm. there. Actually, I did not even take the seventh grade sex ed class. I think it was like a two week ordeal. Mm hmm because honestly my mom gave me a choice and i told her i didn't want to because i was so scared and dised oh no. and it was awful like i was just like no mom give me a textbook i'd rather do the the self work and just read the book which i'm kind of thankful for because it did give me a slight obsession with the female cycle mm-hmm. because i was learning about it and i hadn't had my first period yet and it was so mysterious that I I just became obsessed with the different hormonal fluctuations and how it, <laughs> uh, I don't know, and, and actually led me to become fascinated with birth work. And for those of you listening, you know, I'm a doula too. And yeah, I went to school to be an OBGYN, but that's where it all started was like not doing that sex ed class
1: because... <laughs> <laughs> wow.
0: Anyway. But I'm sure that it's not what most people want to be giving their kids in the form of here's a textbook and this is your sex education, uh, especially for the mamas listening to my podcast. So um, I'm super curious to hear any advice, words of wisdom. How do we break past this fear of talking to our kids about sex so that it's like actually halfway comfortable? Um, And, you know, what's age-appropriate, what's not? What topics should we even be discussing? All of that. We want to hear all of it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) well, I, I would first start off by saying that, you know, talking about all of these topics is very, very difficult. And I think it's important to recognize the reason why. It's because from a very young age, we're told that sex is dirty or scary or dangerous, don't do it, and then we're never ever taught these skills. whether it comes to sex or communication or relationships, where all other life skills are learned. And then we become adults and we're expected to just like magically be amazing at relationships, sex, dating. And then we feel shame because we're not good at them. Um, And we never really receive practice. Right. And so I think that's why that was kind of our mission is trying to get people more comfortable talking about sex and that definitely will like, help you even talk about sex with your kids or with your friends, but you have to start somewhere. And our coaches are basically like role models that you can practice this with in the app because it's one thing to read a blog or uh, watch a show about it, but it's a totally other thing to be more active and less passive and learn exactly how to have these conversations and the vocabulary and see our coaches as those role models. And it's fun too, right? Our homework is fun. Yes. <laughs> it's different from, you know, you hiring a personal trainer and, and they tell you, you know, that homework's not not necessarily as fun as our homework, right? <laughs> so, oh, totally. Um, but <laughs> when it comes to your kids, I think the most one important thing is that you have to have these conversations much earlier then I think a lot of people think they do. Um, like you said, your sex education happened in seventh grade. I had some in eighth grade. Honestly, that's a little late, um, especially for middle schoolers. So I think having those conversations earlier and it's going to really depend family to family. I've seen some people like tell their kids, you know, I would really love to have this conversation with you, and these are the topics that we want to address, and you can ask any question you want, but also maybe designating another person that's maybe a family friend or an aunt or a cousin that's also a second adult that the child can go to because they may always feel a little discomfort around their mom or dad with these topics, and I've seen that's really useful, especially when the child gets a little bit older. Maybe they're in high school and they do have like a, a kind of maybe a problem and then they feel shame going to their parents. It's good to designate that aunt cousin family friend too. Yeah. I
0: love that idea. I never thought about bringing in the, the troops. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Okay. Well, if middle school is too late, then what is like an ideal age? Maybe around nine, ten. and 10.
1: Yeah. I feel like fifth grade it's definitely a good time to start having those conversations because i know a lot of people have the puberty conversation and i think that's a good time to also go ahead and start addressing you know the sex conversations and relationship conversations i think people are scared to have these conversations because they think it's like all about sex and they're like horrified at their own child having sex and like the physical nature of it but it's also conversations about consent and what healthy relationships are and communication. And that those conversations are just as important.
0: Yeah, I've been following, I think her name is Anya Manis or I don't know, I'll have to look it up and put this in the show notes. But she is a coach for parents to help them to talk to their kids about sex. And, you know, what one thing that I get from her emails is that it's the parents own shame and guilt. That's like, yeah, right. in uh, their own shit around sex is really keeping them from actually talking to their kids. So the more that you're able to clear that from yourself, the easier it's going to be to actually have the conversations. And I totally agree that uh, talking about consent and you know what that even means that starts when you know, they're toddlers.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) It starts super early. So there's so many conversations other than sex, but still have to do with sex that start from when they're born, you know? Uh, And then obviously there's books you can get from the library. Right. And that are kind of age appropriate for younger kids before they're in like fifth grade. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I'm curious what,
1: I mean, you, you bring up a good point about the adults having internal shame um, and that, how that reflects upon the kid. I mean, I think it's good for, you know, the people listening to reflect and think about how often they have a really open, honest conversation about sex with their husbands or spouse, because if they can't even do it with your husband or your spouse, then it's going to be even harder to do it with your kid. So, like, how often do you, you speak to your spouse about exactly what you want in bed and how your sex life is going and if they should change things up? I think a lot of people struggle with those conversations in general. Yes.
0: And if you're just really intrigued by that and that's you, then go check out the episode on how to talk to your partner about sex. Because I made <laughs> an episode about that when I first started the podcast. So. Yeah, go do that and then have a conversation with your kid. Yeah, until you're really comfortable in your own skin, even talking with your partner about it, it's obviously going to be difficult to have a comfortable conversation with your kid. Um, okay, what is currently normal for sex education or does it really depend by state? Because what what I'm getting right now is that all we're teaching is biology, STDs, and how to prevent a pregnancy no one is talking about pleasure or how to have good sex.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, so it definitely depends on your state. Okay. Uh, So there's 13 states in the country that provide uh, medically accurate, comprehensive sex ed. And what that means is that they talk about birth control and condoms and everything that's in the curriculum is, medically accurate and um, it's not just abstinence only so if you're not one of those 13 states and it's really really up to you know who's leading your state at the time the policies for instance in Tennessee it's very much not it's illegal to talk about birth control and condoms in the public schools they only go for the abstinence only approach and they'll talk a little bit about STDs but never really the other methods of pregnancy prevention, and only if you're maybe really lucky, you go to a special school or you're in a very very liberal place where you get into the topics of like pleasure and consent and communication, and that's very very rare. Good Lord! <laughs> all right. So all of
0: you parents listening, and do you now see how important it is to talk to your kids about sex? Because look at all that they're not getting. They're not getting any teaching on consent. They're not getting any teaching on pleasure at all. I bet they probably don't even bring up the clitoris, the mm-hmm. actual anatomy of female orgasmic experiences. Like, of course they're going to talk about a penis, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. No, it's true. It's uh, It really, it, you cannot depend on the school systems to to give your children that information. So it definitely needs to be provided elsewhere. And I think uh, good parents will provide those you know, gaps in information. Uh, the clitoris is like a great example because women are never really taught to learn about their own pleasure and mm-hmm. their own empowerment, and how to advocate for themselves. And they're taught to be very passive and men are supposed to give them their pleasure. And then on the flip side, boys are taught to pursue and win, and they're, they're very, very empowered, right? So if you don't have these conversations when they're young girls, then they grow up later and in, in college, and as adults, they have this shame, and they don't necessarily know how to advocate for themselves in these situations, and it can lead to very bad experiences or even uh, sexual assault when these things aren't communicated and addressed. Yeah.
0: And what is the, do you have an age limit on your app? Like, do you have to be a certain age to get on it?
1: Yeah, we don't allow anyone under the age of 13 in the app. Okay. Um, but the coaching is definitely for adults. It's, um, I like, I don't think we have anyone that's younger than 20. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Well, I was just wondering if that could be another resource.
1: Yeah, it's fr- it's free to download, and the free features could definitely be Uh, accessible to people that are like maybe in high school gotcha
0: okay cool yeah and just learning you know teaching your kids the anatomy especially for girls you know oh my god like that's where I didn't learn my own anatomy until I was what 29 30 yeah yeah like I didn't know yeah. what a clitoris even looked like, you know, <laughs> Yeah, it's so sad. So don't leave your girls hanging, tell them, show them, print up a picture. If you don't know yourself, then you need to get educated and then let your girls know, you know, what it's all about down there because it sucks to go through life completely clueless about what's even going to bring you pleasure as a woman. Cause like you are saying, boys, you know, we teach them to go for their pleasure and, girls like are left with no idea what even brings them pleasure. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. And what can parents do to really bring up and start these conversations? This is one that I have a 10 year old going into fifth grade. And of course they know all of the anatomy. I mean, (laughs) they're going to be the ones teaching everybody else about everything. (laughs) But I haven't had like, mm, I've had the masturbation talks, but I haven't had, the actual like they know what sex is you know penis inside vagina that's heterosexual sex i've you know i've told them that not everybody's like that you know some people like boys some boys like penises too some girls like vaginas Mm -hmm. too you know so they understand the physical act but i haven't had any of those pleasure conversations yet like (laughs) (laughs) you know, if they do turn out to be heterosexual, like how, what am I going to say to them? Do you have any suggestions or ideas about how to talk to them about, I don't know, about their actual first sexual experiences? Like how can we prepare them for that?
1: Well, I know I have a, I have a cousin who's nine and, uh, I'm really close to them and I've been hearing about how those conversations have been dealt with and i've kind of like the designated like non-parental person (laughs) that has been told to chat with them but i think it's important to explain i I think some kids are are confused as to why people would have sex and i think some people are really focused on oh it's to have babies i think that's like the worst answer because how often in your life do you have sex to have a baby like it's like very small amount, you know, like you, you have sex way more often because it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we need to be really honest with our kids about that. But then, I mean, also explain that it is um, a big decision to become sexually active and how there are things to be aware of and, and there can be consequences. And, you know, it's good to, for your first time to be with someone you trust and, You know, all of those conversations, I think about the emotional aspect and the communication aspect, and you got to pair it with the pleasure conversation. You can't really separate the two.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I had um, my 18-year-old stepdaughter, (laughs) I asked her, what did we leave out that, you know, you wish Mm -hmm. we would have told you about earlier? Because she had been Mm -hmm. in my life since she was 12 and she said that she didn't know what oral sex meant. She had no clue uh-huh. what it meant. Um, it was like, oh, okay, so make sure my boys know what oral sex means. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, the rest of them, I need to make sure they know this. But yeah, maybe asking, you know, your friends, like what what one thing wish do you wish you would have known about, you know?
1: Like, yeah, that's a good thought. I mean, also framing sex as uh, multiple, there's multiple types of sex. I think it becomes problematic when you say, oh, sex means a penis enters a vagina because right. there are all other different types of sexual activity and uh, girls shouldn't feel pressure to, like, jump to that activity and also explain that that activity is not always the most pleasurable for women and a lot of women don't orgasm via that. And I think these are, this is all information that I feel like young girls should just know and it's not something you should have to, like, Discover on your own through trial and error the first couple of years you're sexually active.
0: Yeah, wouldn't that be so helpful? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. wouldn't it have cut all the crap? Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it would have definitely been easier. And you know, from the little bit of sexual science that I got going through college, um, girls don't really reach a sexual you know, time where they really burst until they're, like, in their mid-20s. Am I right on that? Like, around 25?
1: Do you mean, like, become more sexually active? Is that well, what you're Well, I guess,
0: like, maybe in the context I heard it in is that most girls haven't experienced an orgasm until they're around 25 or over.
1: Oh, yeah. A lot of women definitely experience their first orgasm way later than when yeah. young men do. Right. And, and I think it's just because of lack of knowledge exactly yeah
0: yeah and we clear up the anatomy piece to make sure they understand the anatomy and where the source of female pleasure comes from like that's so sad when i heard that you know most women are experiencing their first orgasm until they're over 25 like i think it was like 80% or something ridiculously high
1: <laughs> wow <laughs> oh my god that is insane yeah yeah i mean a lot of what we do on juice box uh, addresses the orgasm gap too because Um, your listeners may already know but for straight women only around 65 percent of them orgasm regularly where when you compare that to men it's over 95 percent so there's a huge gap there and that type of gender inequity is just as important as the other gender inequity conversations we have and so even for your listeners if you're not orgasming regularly with your your partner you you definitely deserve better (laughs) and you know, we provide a lot of orgasm coaching on juice box.
0: Yeah. That's definitely one of my specialties, <laughs> you know, hence the multi orgasmic mama. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Cool. Okay. And now let's talk about this one thing that's obviously probably everyone's thinking, wondering if I'm going to address it, but porn, um, <laughs> what do we do about that? (laughs) Like (laughs) inevitable that our children are going to see porn. Like I've accepted that. I've accepted that once they get smartphones, it's, there's not shit I can do. Right. Um, but how do we teach our kids that porn can become not only addictive, like a drug, but that it numbs you out. Like, you know, you have to learn how to use it (laughs) and <laughs> healthy doses like you can't have these experiences habitually and still expect to have a normal sexual behavior with an actual person mm-hmm. because so many men are not experiencing mm-hmm. like normal sexuality with people because they've gotten so de- desensitized with porn
1: yeah i think it's a uh, radical honesty is the best approach when it comes to that and i think being really transparent with your kids that pornography is entertainment first and foremost. It is not at all real. Um, Nothing you learn from that will really help you in real life because these are actors and explaining that they're, you know, often acting (laughs) and it's for entertainment purposes. And when it comes to like consequences of porn, being honest about that too, like it's, important that when you are later in life sexually active you have to it's best to like remain very present in your body and if you become very accustomed to only being aroused via porn or via very specific type of porn porn then later when you're with uh your partner you're gonna perhaps experience performance anxiety or issues with um you know There's even erectile issue dysfunction has like been uh, going up in young men. And a lot of people think it might be because of our access to pornography. So I think just being honest about all of this, just like we would be honest about dangers and consequences of other activities that people engage in. I mean, we prep people for, we prep people a lot for like driving a car. And, and getting a driver's license and all of the consequences and rules and skills. I mean, sex and relationships should be addressed similarly. Um, so I think being honest that porn isn't necessarily bad. It's for entertainment. It's not for education. And it shouldn't be something that becomes like a, a routine and a huge part of your life. It should be something that you figure out what's best for you as far as like frequency and access, because it can hurt your, um, ability to, you know, enjoy sex later in life. But I think it is different for every person. That's why I'm not, I'm not going to say something like, Oh, you should only watch porn once a week or something, because I think it's very, very different for each person.
0: Yeah. And I've often heard, you know, from all my Tantra training and sex coaching that for women, anyhow, if you're using a vibrator more than 50% of the time, then it can really desensitize you a lot and make it harder to orgasm. So I'm wondering, like, is it the same for porn? Like if you watch porn, fifty just a full time, you know, and then actually, and then not like, I don't know. Like, I, w- I guess I would love to see some science on this. You know what I mean? Yeah, so You can I mean, advise your children on like actual proof. Like, look, you want to have good, healthy, actual experiences with other human beings, then, you know, maybe you shouldn't do this more than half the time.
1: <laughs> you know, yeah. Um. I mean, I think, yeah, first, there definitely needs to be more research on sex and sexuality. Unfortunately, there's very little funding
0: mm-hmm. on
1: sexual pleasure and especially women's sexuality. Yeah. Uh, we've really dropped the ball there. I mean, we haven't done a lot of research with sexual pleasure since like the seventies, unfortunately. Yeah. And, um, with what you're saying i think people need to understand that when we say desensitize it doesn't mean like it's it's not ruining nerve damage or anything right. like that but it's more it's it's more what you become accustomed to mm-hmm. and it's always easy to break those over time like it's not like it becomes um, a biological mechanism that you've desensitized your nerves from using a vibrator too much or anything like that it's more like oh i became accustomed to porn or i became accustomed to this sensation and so i think it's just like oh i can only orgasm in this position or i can only orgasm lying on my back like these are all things you can unlearn Mm -hmm. uh, and it's more about your mindset
0: yeah and i work with so many people that that's what we're doing we're unwinding that i can only do it this way it only works if he does this, <laughs> but I can't do it on my own, but it can, if he does it. you know, like all of these, these little things. And it's like, yeah, it actually does take time and it takes practice to, you know, build new neuronal pathways in your brain to actually be able mm-hmm. to learn how to orgasm in other ways. But yeah, if you're accustomed to doing it one way, your brain knows it can do it. So of course it's easy, you know, but you have to, it's like building a new muscle. It's like Mm -hmm. working out a new muscle, you know, anything new that you're trying. So if you, if you can only orgasm to porn, for example, like it might take some time, but eventually you will learn how to orgasm in another way. If you're working on it and like not using the porn as much, you know, it just takes some time. So yeah, I think that's really important to note too. It's not like, you're ruining your cells or your brain.
1: (laughs) Well, you can't repair it. (laughs) Right. The other thing I think just to note when it comes to pornography is that there are different types of pornography and some are better than others. And just being aware that there's ethical pornography out there where they pay the actors, you know, well, uh, no one's being forced to do certain activities. There's no trafficking involved. Um, And then also like feminist porn where it's not all about the male perspective. I think if you are a mother of young boys and you can have that conversation about porn that is not as um objectifying of women, then I think that would be that, that would be an amazing conversation to be able to have.
0: Yeah, that's so funny you just brought that up because I watched the Netflix series, I think it's called Turned On. Mhm. And I had known about Erica Lust before, but now I'm like obsessed with her.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm like, oh, what a subscription to her. Maybe so bad because she's like the, I don't know, I guess she kind of started the whole feminist porn movement. Do you know about that? Or
1: Yeah, she's she's great. She has a lot, a lot of good films out there. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She's definitely someone I'd be like, that's not. typical kind of porn that makes me want to puke (laughs) it's actually extremely beautiful videography and the scripts are amazing yeah it's really gorgeous so that that is out there (laughs) (laughs) you're right awesome okay and then the last question I have for you uh, because this is the multi-orgasmic mama podcast um, do you have any tips or trick tricks for becoming a multi-orgasmic woman any one tip or trick or word of advice
1: yeah I don't know if you've talked about edging on your podcast before but I think that you have or haven't I have not in particular I don't recall so tell us what it is okay yeah well so edging is when uh either when you're masturbating or with your partner you get close to orgasming but then you stop and, and let yourself come back and then you can do it over and over again. So like getting close and then stopping and coming back. And so like I know some women might like doing that once or twice or um, even more, but a lot of women say that it helps their orgasm um, be more powerful and it can also help you learn how to control your orgasms to help you on the path to maybe being able to be more aware of what you enjoy and don't enjoy and how you can perhaps have uh, more than one orgasm. So I think that if you're, if you, not everyone's going to love it, but I think everyone should give it a try because it can really, really help you you understand what you enjoy.
0: Yeah. I love that you brought that up because I haven't really talked about it too much, but that is actually how I'm multi-orgasmic. When I learned how to edge enough and, you know, my sexual partners would be like, "Why are you? Why do you stop? Why do you stop?" I'm like, "Because I'm building it up, <laughs> uh-huh. right? Like, get to a certain point and then back off, and then uh-huh. just give me a minute, and then I'm gonna, you know, do more, and then back off, and then it. But it leads to me being. I want to have however many orgasms I want to have. You know, mm-hmm. it's super effective. That's what I do, like all the time. That's definitely one of the the top things I would suggest as well. So thanks
1: for pointing that out. <laughs> yeah, of course.
0: <laughs> Very cool.
1: Yeah. So if you're, you know, if your listeners want a five day free trial on Juicebox, they can uh, use the cult, the code multi orgasmic and we'll give them a five day free trial of coaching. And like I said, you don't have to be in a crisis mode to access it. We have a lot of people that are actually in healthy relationships and, pretty good sex lives, and they just want to maybe learn a new skill or, you know, improve their sex lives and take it to a, a new level. That's so cool.
0: Thank you for offering that. Definitely yeah. go, uh, take up that offer, Mamos. That's really, really cool of her. <laughs> Thank you so much, Brianna.
1: Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Talk to you later. Bye.